Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir. It is Thursday, August 1st, and Gino and I have a tremendous show for you guys today. We're going to start with some horse racing. We're going to talk about Jerry Hollendorfer and all the things that have gone on at Santa Anita and beyond. And we're going to get David Gascon to join us from Fox Sports to talk some Dodgers and trades and Laker talk and so on and so forth. All things L.A., which I know Gino loves. And we're also going to probably hear from um, Wally and Malibu, the pugs in the background where I'm where I am in Dallas right now, um, uh, watching my uh, watching over these pugs in my at my girlfriend's house and uh, her family's house <laughs> in Bedford. So if you hear any barking or any little uh, tiptoeing in the background, it's uh, it's just one of these pugs. So we're going to have uh, several different guests, not just yes. uh, of the human variety. Exactly. And we'll be talking um, all, all about the equine species. variety, and then exactly. uh, and we're going to be joined by the canine variety. Okay, that that sounds yes. that sounds pretty normally good. Normally, we'll get a raider in there, or a bug, or a roly, or an Ellie. Sometimes we have a couple new canines that uh, that are going to be uh, probably <laughs> <laughs> gracing us with their voice at some point. <laughs> good deal. So before we get uh, Jerry Hollendorfer on Hall of Fame trainer. Uh, it's been obviously in the news, the national news quite a bit, which uh, typically that doesn't happen outside of maybe the Kentucky Derby weekend and the Breeders' Cup weekend. But uh, I think we want to give him an opportunity to really just give his side of the story and explain a little bit more detailed out of his mouth, you know, what happened at Santa Anita and why he was banned from there. And just generally speaking, Gino, what, what are your kind of overall collective thoughts about the whole situation? Something seemed weird. I mean, it just is, it's, I really felt like he was someone that was made a scapegoat out of this because, uh, as someone who's been made a golden gate and back and forth from Santa Anita for, um, for so long as such a mainstay, it didn't seem like there was enough that was, and it, I, he obviously had some incidents with, uh, some horses that uh, unfortunately passed away. And I think because one of them was a kind of a big name horse in battle of midway, remember, I just, I think he he was he's been un, unfortunately and unfairly kind of poster boy as as the person that a lot of things were going wrong because of, and that is not the case, especially for someone who deals with as many horses as he has dealt with on a daily basis. It sounds sounds a little harsh and a little insensitive to say, but when you deal with that many, there are going to be some negative things that happen no matter what. You know, you 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 can't you can't. Um, eliminate all of the problems from happening. And I don't think based on what I know of Jerry and just being around him and, and Dan and, and their born for years, seeing them when I was at the racetracks and what I know from everyone else, this is a born who takes very good care of their horses and they care quite a bit about their horses and everyone in their barn and on their team. And this is something that not only was affecting uh, Jerry, but a, a lot of people that worked for him which is very unfortunate. You know, this is a barn that employs a lot of people at different racetracks from grooms and valets and, and uh, hot walkers and, uh, you know, Galliber, like all, all people, vets all, all the way up and down. So um, I'm, I'm glad that he will actually be able to get some horses going in Del Mar and we'll, we'll kind of see what's going to happen moving forward. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I see that he's got a runner in, um, running at Santa Rosa today, and he's uh, just uh, based off of the ruling uh, several days ago, he's allowed to run at Del Mar. He was allowed to run at Naira, and then he wasn't allowed to not run at Naira. So right now it's no New York and no Stronic uh, facilities or racetracks in terms of training or competing or stabling, etc. It's got to be tough. I mean, you, you got Santa Rosa and the fairs, but, you know, you, that's just a few horses, losing, you know? You start losing horses now. That, that's what happened. That's what's happened is that a lot of the – because unfortunately – it's a business, right? And if he's not able to run horses, the, the owners of those horses still have to find somewhere for, where those horses can run. And so if he can't if he can't enter them, they have to take them from him, unfortunately, and give them to some other trainers. And we've already seen that happen, some with his assistant, Dan Ward, others with other trainers. And, and that's what's going to be unfortunate. And I hope that, you know, something like this, you know, will he be able to get some of those horses back? You never know. Yeah, that's a tremendous point. And uh, w- w- for those who are just tuning in, we're, we're talking about Hall of Fame horse racing trainer Jerry Hollendorfer, uh, and we are waiting for him to uh, come on the air with us. One of the things I'm curious about is how does this work with the uh, Breeders' Cup? So let's just say he retains some of the, you know, at least a few of his uh, top-end stock, uh, and and they've qualified, win and ran, or whatever the case may be, uh, to compete in the Breeders' Cup races. Those are going to be held at Santa Anita. So yeah, is that I, considered I, I a, a, a separate I event? Or? I got to look at this more, but I'm pretty sure that the Breeders' Cup is a separate entity those two days. That they are, they, when the Breeders' Cup comes in, the Breeders' Cup has, is, is a different. But I, so I, so I does that mean though I, he can I, only I, ship on the day, like in the morning of? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, that's what I mean. Like, this is all tricky. And, and I don't know, because th- this isn't really, like, this is not like a precedent that we see often. Right. Like we don't have a lot of like a lot of like previous things like this to go off of, because generally if somebody gets banned from a racetrack, it's because they've done a lot of lot of really bad things. And generally they don't just get banned from one track. Most of the time when they get banned, we see like what happened with Dutro or something like just a, a large like a ban from horse racing in general. So this is. This is just really, really, and I don't like what's been going on here because it's like a slippery slope. Well, that's a great point, you know, because there really wasn't like a ruling. You know, this was, this is like a, an owner of a facility. This is like, like a stadium saying, you know what, uh, 49ers, you can't play here anymore. You know, really what that is. It's like, yeah. So it's, it's it's not like like there was a a ruling that came down and I'm sorry, go ahead, Gina. It's like a restaurant just saying, we're not going to serve you. It just seems like it's very weird. For for him to have been pegged as as the the the, the problem of all of this, and I, I just I did not like this at all. And you know, I've been very negative about a lot, and and I'll be positive whenever there's something to be positive about. It's just the last couple of years, it's been hard to because the decisions that are made they leave you scratching your head a lot. We go, okay, so really, Jerry Hollendorfer is the guy that is should be put up there and said he doesn't treat his horses well. I don't agree with that. I just don't. I flat out don't. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like according to who, right? Who who is yeah. who is making this declaration, and 
And uh, how does that compare with other trainers? And there's just a lot of it that's just kind of like, hey, we're having a problem here at this racetrack. There's been a lot of deaths. And who's a high-profile guy that we could kind of target? It's going to be probably either him or, or Bob Baffert, right? So let's uh, let's hear it straight from, uh, I mean, no pun intended, the horse's mouth, right? Uh, let's, let's talk to the Hall of Fame trainer himself. We're talking about Jerry Hollendorfer. Jerry, good afternoon. You are on with Mike Abadir and Gino Bacola. How are you, sir? Good. Pleased to be here. Thanks for joining us. Let's uh, let's kind of get right to it. Um, obviously, there's you've had a very uh, uh, interesting, to say the least, the last uh, month, month and a half, couple of months, I guess. Um, kind of wanted to start from the beginning, which is with this entire ordeal. And by the way, I want to first and foremost say congratulations on being able to compete at Del Mar. We're all glad to see you uh, be able to do what you do best. Thank you. So how did Santa Anita inform you that you had to leave? How did that go down? Uh, they just, they just uh, called me in, and uh, uh, Tim Ritvo told me that I had 72 hours to get my horses off the racetrack and uh, the same for uh, Golden Gate Field. Any explanation given? Uh, not, not really. Not really. And, I mean, what was your response? Well, I, you know, I just, uh, I just uh, thought that it was unfair, and I really don't want to uh, get into what was uh, said at that meeting because, uh, you know, something may come of this down the line. Sure, understandable. So... Were there any like warnings leading up to this, or you know, any any reprimand leading up to None. Uh, them telling you to leave? None. 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 Wow. So, and at that time, they said Golden Gate and Santa Anita. Did they mention any of their other properties as well, or was that kind of inferred? No, no. Uh, I didn't have any horses on their other properties, so I okay. uh, suppose they were just. Uh, honed in on, on the properties in California. Sure. So, um, and, and I don't want to be to that horse. We want to keep it moving because there's some positives that we want to talk about as well. But what, what happened then with uh, Naira? Because it sounded like, at least uh, from what was reported, that you were going to be running in New York. And then did they go back on allowing you to run there? Or how did that all go down? Okay. So, uh, you know, I was in New York and welcomed there uh, to run. And then, you know, I don't know what happened in, in the meantime, but, uh, you know, I, was, I, I, I wasn't banned there ever. And I, as far as I know, I'm not now either. But they said that I was good with the commission there and that I could enter horses. But if the board uh, got together, they might likely uh, scratch my horses. So, you know, all of those horses that I had there were Larry Best. Uh, horses oxo so uh you know i didn't want to uh, uh put larry in any uh in any uh danger of uh of not being able to run his horses so i just uh turned all those horses over to john chatlos and he's been training them uh ever since now that's an interesting point how has uh how have things been let's say with some of your uh, marquee owners and the owners in general that you work with as well as your employees how, how many employees do you have around the country well i you know i don't know exactly but we had to let a lot of people go 
and a lot of people that had been with us for a long time. You know, I've lost a, a lot of horses and a lot of uh, big owners, you know, and uh, a, a lot of it was because Del Mar couldn't make up their uh, their minds if I was going to get to run run there or not. So uh, that, that came into play. And then, you know, people have to ask the question, you know, uh, what if you don't uh, get back up for Santa Anita? So, I mean, that's, that's why I lost a lot of horses. Now, do you think that because you know, Del Mar, the, the, the ruling went down in your favor. Do you think that gives you some optimism with you and your legal team? I think you're, you're a, a, a client of Daryl Vienna's, if I'm uh, uh, correct about that. Does that give optimism Drew to be Kuto, able to... Drew Coates uh, is my lawyer, and uh, Daryl Vienna was uh, hired by the CTT uh, to present their point of view at the TRO hearing. So, uh, you know, I have, uh, you're talking about optimism. Of course, I'm more optimistic because the judge ruled in my favor for letting me run at uh, Del Mar, but there's still uh, many uh, loose ends and, uh, and uh, things uh, that would have to uh, happen for me to uh, be able to run again at, at uh, the other two tracks that I want to run at. Sure. Well, one of them obviously is uh, Santa Anita. That's the big one. And that's where the Breeders' Cup is this year. What What does this all mean as it relates to you running your horses in the Breeders' Cup? As, as I understand it, it's a separate event. But um, have yeah, has there been that discussion? If I had to guess, I would guess that, that I would get get to run in, in the Breeders' Cup if we have, if uh, we could get Basilica or another horse there, I, th- I think they would let me run, but I'm not sure. I'm in limbo on a lot of things. Do you feel you've been unfairly targeted, that you've been made a scapegoat? I, well, I, I don't know about that word scapegoat, you know. I, I, you know, but have I been unfairly treated? I, I, I think so, yes. So, of everything that's been talked about, and I'm... I'm sure you probably uh, try to tune tune a lot of it out uh, as much as you possibly can. But what's been the most misreported, whether it be a statistic or just about the the story in general? What's been the biggest thing where you hear it, you scratch your head, you say, "This is ridiculous." Well, I don't know. The whole thing. I thought the whole thing was was uh, ridiculous from the very beginning. So you know, and then uh, you know, things just keep snowballing and you know, owners uh, moved horses and I had to let uh, people go. So what I'm doing is I'm uh, trying to deal with my problems on a daily uh, basis and handle them as uh, straightforwardly as I can. And so, you know, because I'm not uh, versed in legal matters, uh, you know, I hired an attorney and then uh, then uh, Daryl Vienna came in for the CTT uh, to represent their their point of view, especially on uh, the TRO hearing. Sure. Well, you know, we're we're definitely rooting for you. And, you know, I've been a big fan myself. Uh, we're in Los Angeles broadcasting, but I'm originally from the Bay Area and went to law school up there. And, you know, I went to Golden Gate Fields just to see Jerry Hollendorfer's horses run and, and Russell Bay's uh, riding those horses. And it's kind of on that note that I ask you uh, this question before we let you go. You know, in general, 
what is your take on the future of horse racing in California? You know, there's issues of horse well, population I, I, and, and other things. You, you, you know, the horse population is the horse population is, is down, and uh, usually there are uh, a few stables that come uh, for Del Mar and uh, so on and so forth. But uh, those stables aren't showing up now. I I think the horse population, uh, and I'm just guessing, but from from uh, the reads I get from talking with other people, such as veterinarians, I think the horse population is down about 25 to 30 percent. So my my opinion is is that uh, if either if either one of the biggest tracks fail, Santa Anita or uh, Del Mar, I think it would be hard to uh, uh, to keep the racing going going along as as we know it uh, today with the quality horses and uh, you know expensive horses uh, being bought at the sales and and uh, and being uh, uh, shipped here to California. So I think one of the main problems this year is going to be that a lot of the eastern uh, stables that generally send five or six horses to one or another trainer, I think they're not uh, they're not sending them now until things uh, get cleared up around here, or they, at least uh, people have more confidence uh, of what's what's going to happen. So uncertainty is uh, driving that point of view. Jerry, uh, just in closing here, we wanted to give you an opportunity to, you know, we have a nationwide audience. Obviously, like I said, we're based in Southern California. There's a lot of horse racing fans that listen to this show, and there's a lot of people that are rooting for you. There's also a lot of detractors that are out there. Is there anything that you kind of want to tell the uh, fans, the betters, gamblers, the horsemen, anybody else that might be listening uh, just in closing. Well, you know, I've always been for the fans and, and, and the betters because without them, we, we would never uh, have an opportunity to have a, a job uh, like this. You know, I've started uh, over 33,500 horses and I can tell you that honestly that I did my best every time I led one over uh, to try and win that race, whether I was at uh, short odds or uh, long odds. Um, you know, that's uh, just about the way I feel about things. We so appreciate you joining us. You, I know it's been a, a tough few weeks, but um, uh, you, hopefully you can build on this momentum of the positive news. We'll be rooting for you at Del Mar and hope to see you back at Santa Anita and Golden Gate because you deserve to be there. Thank you for the great work you've done over the last uh, 30 plus years in California. Thank you. That's Jerry Hollendorfer, Hall of Fame horse racing trainer. Let's take our first commercial break. We'll get some reaction from Gino Bacola, and then uh, we'll talk some Dodgers baseball. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? (laughs) 
Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. Big thank you to the Hall of Famer, Jerry Hollendorfer, for joining us. Gino, just a. Quick reaction from you based on what you heard from Jerry. Yeah, that was great. Um, he's obviously got, he has a gripe, and he should. Anyone who feels like they were wronged. I love what he said. He's for the betters. He said, every horse I've ever entered, I, I tried to win that race. You know, And he, you know, you hear a lot of trainers and, and uh, owners sometimes say, you know, the owners and the trainers are the lifeblood of horse racing. I, I, I hate to disagree, yeah. but yeah. he knows horse racing without the betters. Sure. You know, so. So there would just, it just, he, he gets it obviously right there. I'm, I'm rooting for him. We're rooting for him. I think that with what happened at Del Mar, somebody's got to look at Sanita and say, okay, are these the right people to be making decisions on, on something this serious? Because they sure haven't been making the right decisions the last, what, year, year and a half with everything. And so now they're the livelihood of Jerry Hollendorfer. One of the all-time greatest trainers is now in their hands just because they say so. And there's not a there's not a whole lot of like s- severe evidence that should should support this. I, I just don't. It's like oh, just because we say, you know, that's yeah. what we, we, we no, that's a great point. Like, that's a great point like, because I mean, this is the equivalent of like the NFL, you know, butting heads with I don't know Bill Belichick or the NBA with Popovich. They, they wouldn't go about it this way, you know. I mean, when we were just talking to them a few minutes ago, I was I was reminding myself this is one of the greatest uh, trainers of of all time. Uh, definitely top, you know, top five out of uh, California and California, New York, Kentucky have the greatest in the world. And so, you know, uh, this is this is not the treatment that you would expect 
for someone who's given the sport so much and has helped the sport make made a lot of money. So uh, make a lot of money. So uh, that was very informative, very insightful. Definitely appreciative that he joined us. Gino, let's shift gears a little bit and talk some baseball and LA sports in general with our next guest, which is David Gascon, of Fox Sports Radio. He does yeah, play, by play. He does it weekends. all. Oh what? yeah, I love. I always be tuning in on Saturday, Sunday. I'll hear him on the weekends and yeah, and talking like everything, a little bit of everything. This is pop culture. He throws in sometimes too, whatever's going on. That's. That's why we love you, David. You you are a, really a jack of all trades, are you not? I <laughs> uh, appreciate it, man. Good to hear from you guys. But uh, yeah, I try to be a jack of all trades and obviously a master of none. None yet, anyway. <laughs> Humility, so, right? Uh, I like that's that. Right. I like that. You know, but you're you're really good at what you do, and I wanted to echo what Gino just said because uh, you know we enjoy listening to you, and uh, we hope that as many of our listeners can tune in and, and listen or watch because you you do you, you know you rock band so. Definitely happy I appreciate to have you on that board. very much. I guess the uh, the one goal is to uh, to never take things too seriously because we don't make it out of this this world alive, right? So got to have yeah. as, as yeah. much fun no, as hey, possible. We, but... we... Oh, sure, yeah. No, that, I, I, I I like that motto. And before we kind of uh, talk sports, well, this is sports too, but more on the familial side of things. Uh, I saw a tweet that you sent out a little bit earlier today. I retweeted it out as well. So I didn't know that your sister, is that professional? Is that college? Is that a club uh, sport? What's that oh, all about? It's, it's amateur, yeah. So well, one of my younger sisters um, has been competing for a while with the United States uh, Team Handball Club, and they've been trying to qualify for the Olympics in 2020 in, in Tokyo. Um, so they were in Peru uh, for the past week, week and a half, uh, competing in the Pan Am Games, um, and they they came up fourth, so they got beat by Cuba in the bronze game. But uh, yeah, she's been an animal. She was uh, she was an All American at Southeastern Louisiana State. Um, she was an All American there playing volleyball and also playing softball, and then she competed in overhand toss baseball after that. Um, and she's been a part of the team handball for I believe it's going on eight years now um but yeah she's been a part of it for for quite a while and uh yeah she's a beast she's uh finishing up her PhD at Auburn right now and uh she's graduating in a couple days too so she's been all over the map good well, stuff let's, man yeah Go let's ahead, jump to some uh, some baseball because the trade deadline was yesterday. Just first off, how did you like the first year with like the hard July thirty first trade deadline? Uh, I like it. I, I think that one thing that it does do, and uh, we've seen a lot more in the NBA um, and, and in instances now over the last two years in the NFL. But there's a there's a heightened sense of urgency that I think it does create, especially when you look at teams that are on the cusp of that one game wild card. Uh, I think it's important, at least for Major League Baseball, to to have any kind of drama, whether it's manufactured or not. But when you eliminate that that uh, opportunity to clear waivers and whatnot in Major League Baseball, and you have the hard trade deadline, then you have to make sure that if you are a team, you're either all in or you're all out. So you got to be a buyer or a seller at this point in the year. Now, I think that's important because obviously you can identify not only as a as a team, but also as a as a general manager or an owner, like the position that you want to take moving forward. 
And then as a fan, you get to see exactly how things are unfolding and, and see exactly what you're, you envision your team to be once you get to the tail end of, of August and September and then eventually into October, God willing. So let's talk a little bit about the Dodgers. Um, they didn't go out and make a big splashy move like the Astros made. But they did actually make a couple small moves. And one of them, it's funny, uh, Negron, who's been in the lineup for the Dodgers the last two days, he's hit home runs back-to-back days. I think he had uh, two home runs in his previous like two years uh, before that. So what do you think of the small moves that they made or maybe the moves that they didn't make? Well, I, you, know, you, you can't help but think, if you're a Dodger fan, what could have been and what should have been two years ago when they got beat by Houston and in seven games, they had an opportunity to to pick up Justin Verlander as opposed to Hugh Darvish, and he saw the outcome, especially in Game Seven. So this year, there's there's a sense, obviously, that the Dodgers need to make a move, but you're caught between a couple of hard spots. Do you go after a, a top end starter, or do you go after middle relief and the back end guys? Because you know, Kelly Jansen's obviously got the closer role, so you need someone to to broker that seventh and eighth innings and get it to the guy in the ninth. The only problem is is that the bullpen right now, for, for all intents and purposes, is, is okay, but the Dodgers aren't perfect. So anything that fans look at, just from a biased perspective, it's like the world's on fire, and it's not. Um, I do like the situation with the Dodgers and what they have done with their, with their trade deadline moves, but I think the one area that you want to look at is – what they're doing in their farm system and bringing up Dustin May. Uh, May is scheduled to pitch tomorrow night against the Padres, and I'll be there so I'll get a chance to take a look at him firsthand. But by all accounts, the guy's got electric stuff, and, and some people actually compare him to Noah Syndergaard. So with with May, he's got a, a fastball that runs in the mid-90s, but he's also got two other quality pitches, high-end quality pitches, a, a cutter and a slider. So when you look at him, you look at youth, you look at a lively fastball, and you look at the situation that he's in right now, not only is he competing with the contender, but he's competing with a World Series contender. And I think this situation is spelled out perfectly because uh, you're going in there with a higher sense of, of purpose as opposed to a guy, let's say, you know, with Trevor Bauer, and he's in Cincinnati now, is that, well, you're just playing out the string of games until you get to the offseason or with May, you have no time to think. You're up here, and now you need to make a mark because the the one thing any minor leaguer doesn't want to do once he gets to the show is go back down to the minor leagues. And so he's got a golden opportunity, and I like what the Dodgers do. I feel like in this situation for them with that hard trade deadline is that they'll bury a lot of guys in AAA or in A until the time comes where they feel like they need to bring them up and you expand the, the rosters, and you bring them up, and then you give them some quality starts, you give them some innings, and then all of a sudden you see them in September and October, and the teams around the National League, and if you get to the World Series, the AL representative, they don't have a qualified book on them. So that element of surprise can, can throw a lot of teams off, and I feel like if May is as good as advertised, he could be one of those guys. Not to say he's going to be starting any postseason games, but you can be used and used a lot in middle relief because you know he's a he's a front-end starter in years to come. Well, yeah, and just, you know, I think we're, we look at the Dodgers' bullpen that's been pitching a, a lot of the games this season and, and a lot of the bullpen that's blown up. I don't even know how much of that bullpen is going to be 
the postseason roster for the Dodgers. I think, you know, Joe Kelly had a miserable start to the year, but he's been excellent the last two months or so. I mean, really, really good, like in that top tier form that he was with Boston. You look at, you know, Kenley and Baez, they're not maybe quite as locked down as they were, but they're still very good top-level relievers. So you have them. You throw Maeda, Urias, Stripling in there with possibly guys like Gonsolin and May. I mean, that's not a bad that's not a bad bullpen. They have to execute, obviously, but when you compare it to other bullpens around the league, it's not a bad bullpen. Yeah, Dodgers bullpen right now, it's ranked eighth in Major League Baseball in terms of staff ERA. So, again, like I was saying earlier, there's no reason to to panic. Of course, there's some, some chinks with every team in terms of their armor, but you're looking at the situation right now, the Dodgers only need, for all intents and purposes, they need a a guy or two to get them six outs because their starters are typically going at least six innings. So if you get a guy for the seventh, you get a guy for the eighth, and then you get Jansen the ninth, I mean, the offense is going to take care of itself. The one thing that the Dodgers have that not a lot of teams do in Major League Baseball is they have a tough one through eight. And if you get to the World Series, then it's a tough one through nine. So getting through that lineup once or twice you're going you're gonna to have success and opportunities. We've seen Steven Strasburg do it uh, over the last couple of weeks. John Gray did it a couple of days ago uh, where he was dynamite against the Dodgers. But to get through the lineup a third and then a fourth time, it's awfully hard. And the only pitching staff that I see that can do that um, in a series, whether it's short or not, would be the Washington Nationals. But when you look at the Washington Nationals, their bullpen is absolutely atrocious. So you have to say, okay, can Max Scherzer and can Steven Strasburg get you to the seventh or eighth innings with a marginal lead, not a one-run lead, but maybe a, a two- or three-run lead? And that's going to be awfully tough against a, a Dodgers offense that ex, it's explosive one through eight. I got a question, actually, that I want to pose to both of you guys, which is this. I'm going to assume... I think that the Dodgers announced to the world yesterday basically that they feel they have a team that's going to represent the National League in the World Series. But if do you think if the Grinky deal had gone on, let's say it went down three hours beforehand, before it did, do you think the Dodgers would have made a move then if their ultimate goal is to win the World Series? I don't. I just don't think they, that the front office quite thinks that way. I think they think in more of a sustained, like, what are we going to give up? Because you got to remember, you know, this is a Dodger team that right now is getting production from guys like Bellinger and Seager. And these are players that we could have given up a couple years ago. And so I think they're looking at Lux and May and Will Smith as those type of players to where, just kind of like what David was saying, it'd be different if the Dodgers needed a, a starting pitcher or they needed a bat. But if you're going to give up some highly, highly like regarded prospects for relievers who have a high variance, and we're talking about a, someone who might pitch like 15 innings for you the rest of the year, I just don't know if that's worth it. I really don't. So for me, I don't think they would have made a big splash because I feel like they, they were just asking for too much. The teams around the league were asking for too much. Yeah, and don't forget, this is all about branding purposes, too. The Dodgers aren't a team that's built just for the postseason. This is a, a successful regular season team, and to be successful and to get this kind of payroll that they have and to get the talent that they have, 
you're going to put butts in the seats for at least 81 games. Now, I know, obviously, the television market isn't as fruitful as a lot of fans here in L.A. want it to be, but when you get the guys back home, you want to get consistent sellouts or at least get as much as you possibly could into the seats. And I think what that does in turn is for the Dodgers is they need to make sure that they have quality guys up at the big leagues and then have a capable farm system and not mortgage the future for a, a short time frame. You saw it last year with Manny Machado, and a couple years before that they felt that they didn't want to pick up the tab in a couple years with Justin Verlander. So the philosophy, and kind of going back to what they've thought over the last couple of years, is, is breaking it down to sabermetrics, breaking it down towards percentages, and, and that's why you look at you know, what happened last year in the World Series where, where Dave Roberts didn't put his go-to guys with left-handed bats into the lineup in games one and two, and then you sacrifice that power and that pop, and then you put yourself in a, in a hole. And so I think they go by the numbers, they live and die by it, and, and they're hoping that it pays off eventually, and you never know. I mean, third time's the charm. They look like the best team in the National League, and I, I feel that there's a wide margin just based on what they have offensively and pitching-wise. I know defense has been a little leaky over the past 30 days, Um It'll be fascinating to see who comes out of the American League. Do we, do we think the jock experiment's done at first? Yeah, absolutely. He was absolutely atrocious playing at first base. I understand the Dodgers got a, a plethora of guys that are utility players, but Jock Peterson is not one of them. Yeah, yeah I agree. Actually, let me see? jump in on that one, guys, because uh, Jorge Castillo of the LA Times just sent out a tweet moments ago saying that Dave Roberts said Jock Peterson will not play first base anymore. <laughs> At least for now. He's strictly an outfielder again. Cody Bellinger will go back to first base. But Cody's done a fantastic job gunning down guys from the outfield. I'm going to miss seeing his arm. Yeah, I I mean, I I like Bellinger. I mean, the one thing that that you do is when you put him at first base is is you save the legs. And that's the that's the best thing for a guy like that is is you make sure he's not wandering all over the outfields, crashing into walls, hunting down fly balls, sliding in, or even colliding with other teammates. So uh, it's the one benefit that you have with with Bellinger at first base is you protect the legs and obviously prevent any kind of injury that could be foreseeable with all the activity in the outfield. David, we got to get to a commercial break. Do you have uh, a few minutes to be able to hang with us on the other side? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Outstanding. We're talking to David Gaskin from Fox Sports Everything. We will be back and continue the Dodger talk and maybe a little Lakers talk if Gino has his way. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Talking MLB trade deadline and how it's affected the Dodgers. want to ask both of you guys, uh, we'll start with you, David. What about some of the other moves that were made around uh, the majors? What, what did you think? Who, who are the big winners? Obviously, Houston made, made a splash at the last minute. But leading up to the last minute, they uh, made, quietly made a, a, a few moves, getting some pitching from uh, Toronto. But uh, what were your overall impressions? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was just seeing like what the Yankees could do or what they try to do. And it's just a tough spot for them because they've been decimated with injuries all season long. And to be in the position that they've been in, and they were out by double digits against Tampa Bay. So when you look at what they were doing – Climbing back into this thing, it kind of goes back to the point of what the Dodgers have been doing is is not not panic and not give away the farm in order to get somebody that is a temporary fix. I guess the the biggest thing for me was just the situation, not only with the New York Yankees but also with the the New York Mets and just how they've they've aligned. I, I think that the the Mets should have of any team they should be sellers right now and. I would have gotten rid of Noah Syndergaard no matter what. And I, I think the puzzling thing is why are you bringing in other guys? Why didn't you get rid of Edwin Diaz? There wasn't a lot of else that jumped out at me. I, I think the situation with the Yankees right now, I think they're a head-on collision with the Minnesota Twins. I think the Houston Astros, obviously, with, with what they did, um, was huge, but I don't think they have the power that can match the Twins and the Yankees in postseason play this year. Let's uh, kind of shift a, a, a tiny bit. Baseball, with a couple months left, will be fun, and we'll see how the Dodgers do. But the last year or so, like the NBA has really kind of stolen like a lot of the like baseball season, football season. It's just been... And it's not the NBA games, David. It's the it's the everything but the, the games. It's the player movement. It's all all the difference. I just saw a tweet from LeBron go out a few minutes ago, and he said something like, "The throne has been gone for too long. I'm going to come back." You know, it's something. What are you What do you think right now? The the lay of the land in LA with you know the Lakers getting Davis, with the the Clippers getting Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two teams, and and what's the, the kind of the the hierarchy in the NBA right now? Well, I think going back to what you first said, I think that's a really a big indictment on the NBA when your off season and your transactional periods are the center stage of attention as opposed to the product on the court. And I think that's a problem. I think it'll be changed this season with the arrival of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George 
NLA for the Clippers because I feel like the I feel like the Western Conference, although it's always been good, at least it's been good since Jordan retired. But I feel like the level of play is going to be elevated this year, and I feel like there's a there's a healthy amount of parity in the Western Conference. Um, I, I was on a couple of shows over the last thirty days regarding the Clippers and the Lakers and who's better and who's not. And I feel that the Clippers have the advantage up and down from the organizational standpoint to the roster. Just because if you have the if you have the argument that Anthony Davis is better than Paul George and, and that's fine, I can I can agree with you on that. Um I'd take Kawhi Leonard right now over LeBron James, and the biggest reason for that is not only the health, but also the youth. Um, the Lakers are in a position right now with Frank Vogel that most Laker fans didn't, didn't want a guy like Frank Vogel, and now he's got a guy that he, he has to look over his shoulder because you have Jason Kidd on that coaching staff. So the dynamic of that coaching staff and how things are going to unfold this year through 82 games will be fascinating to see, to listen, and to watch for. Um, as a Laker fan, you got to hope, obviously, LeBron stays healthy, healthy and everyone else develops uh, along the way because, of course, you're going to have Anthony Davis there, but you got to imagine that Anthony Davis, LeBron James are going to get some days off, they're going to get some time off, and they can't be pressed and, and expect to play both ways. Same situation for the L.A. Clippers, too. You're not going to run Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in the ground for 82 games and then get them in the postseason kind of like James Harden, you just flame out. So it is going to be a fun time here in L.A. I think both teams are going to be successful. I think this is the year that the Clippers finally get out of the second round and get to the Western Conference playoffs. Uh, it's all about matchups, but the one luxury that both L.A. teams have is that there's no real contender anymore in Northern California. Although Steph Curry has been an MVP in recent years, no Clay Thompson, obviously no Kevin Durant, and then you have Draymond Green, you have D'Angelo Russell, but the the Golden State Warriors are coming way back to the pack this year. I'll be curious to see what happens with Portland and what happens with Denver and what happens with the Utah Jazz because it's going to be a, a fun 82-game stretch. Yeah, I think it's the first time in, in a while where we don't have the Warriors or the Spurs or the Heat or the Lakers or a big bad team, right? This is the first time in a while where we just – we really don't know. Even with the Lakers and the Clippers, like we both, we assume they're both going to be very good. And the Clippers seem like they have a, I think, but for the reasons that you said, I feel like their floor is probably, um, they're, they're going to be a little bit more steady based on the organization and, and based on their roster, where the Lakers have a weird, like, range they could be awesome i mean if you get good years from like boogie or bradley or some some of these players who have great years i just don't know what what really at all to expect from some of them so that's kind of what's interesting is i think the margin for the lakers could be is just a little bit more volatile than than for a team like the clippers um what uh yeah i I, I agree with you on that because the biggest thing with the clippers that you know you're going to get is you know you're going to get Dogs. They played Golden State last year tooth and nail, and they drove them to the limit. Although it was a six-game series, they won a couple of games. They blew a massive lead on the road, but they didn't have any star power, and they have two of their best players come off the bench. And you look at Patrick Beverly, you look at Lou Williams, these guys hunt, and they hunt all the time, and they can shoot from anywhere on the court. Whereas the Lakers, you're worrying about durability, you're worrying about health, you're worrying about chemistry, 
and all those things could come together, and they are they are volatile. They could be explosive. There's no guarantees with this team, especially when you have Anthony Davis, who came off an Achilles injury, who came off a quad injury. LeBron James, obviously, with his groin and core injury. You have issues with health, and of course, they are aging. That's the that's the one element that I look at, and then the other, obviously, Achilles heel that the Lakers have now is the front office. You have a lot of stability. You have a lot of good function with the Clippers in their front office, and you don't have that with the Lakers anymore. Yeah, I will say as I, I'm compared from last year to this year, first, um, from some of the pieces I prefer, obviously Danny Green and. Uh, and, you know, Quinn Cook and guys like that sure. versus you know, Beasley and some of the moves they made last year. I think they fit a little bit better. And I do just from like a from a coaching standpoint, the, the Jason Kidd dynamic will be interesting. But if you just look at their coaching staff on paper and the other development they, uh, player they just brought in, um, uh, Phil Handy, who had been working with LeBron and Toronto and Kawhi. So I like. I feel like they've, they've done a better job this year. I'm hoping, because I'm a Lakers fan, obviously, and it's been hard the last few years because there's been a lot of negative, and, and not even just the losing, it's just just bad moves, bad decisions. Like you said, overall, the front office does not look good. I'm hoping with, with Magic out of there that, that that has at least been able to kind of change a little bit. Now they know, okay, hey, Rob is kind of the one making the decisions, and we'll see how these decisions move forward for him, but... I think we hit the key point. It is going to be fun out here in Los Angeles. And I would – how how awesome would it be if we can get these two teams in a playoff series? Yeah, I mean, it would be a lot of fun. You think about situations where in L.A. or, or New York where, where you get two teams that can match up with each other. You'll get it here in L.A. if these two teams can, can reach their potential. The one thing that has – that the Clippers have the benefit of over the Lakers is they have – two superstars that are two-way defenders. You don't have that with the Lakers. And although LeBron James is a fantastic all-around player, he's not the same dude defensively like he was when he was in Cleveland, when he was in Miami, and the first go-around in Cleveland. So that's the, those are the points that when you look at both these teams, like where the holes are at and, and where they need to, to improve on as the season goes along. I don't see a lot of weak spots with the Clippers. They're not perfect, but they don't, have any, they don't have much of a rim protector. Lakers do. And I think the benefit of being in the Western Conference this year is you don't have to worry about, outside of Portland, you don't have to worry about getting into a three-point barrage with another team like the Golden State Warriors. The Lakers can play inside out this year as opposed to like the last couple of years when they couldn't afford to do that to keep up with the the Golden State Warriors. Well, with just a few minutes left, what are uh, what are some of your, you know, we're getting close, man. There's a football game tonight. There's a football game tonight. We love that. What are some of your early thoughts uh, heading into the uh, the football season, some teams that you may be high on or maybe a team that you may be cold on? Well, I think the one team that I'm, I'm big on this year, and I, and I hate saying it, but I think it's going to be the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo being out last season obviously was a massive blow to them, but he's he's fully recovered. He, he's working out. And I think with that situation of the NFC West, I, I think one through four, they're going to be okay. A lot of people are, are discounting the, the impact that Kyler Murray can have. I feel like the situation with him and Cliff Kingsbury will be similar to what the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson. You brought him in. 
and you see, hey, our offensive line is not good. We need a quarterback that is mobile. That's why they ditched Josh Rosen. You can't have a sitting duck back there because it does you no good if you're leading passers on the bench because of an injury. Murray is, is a dynamic player. He's a guy that is a dual-threat guy, and he can also check down at David Johnson at any given time. And David Johnson was lost last year because of the inability to crack some creases. Uh, another team will be in the AFC East. I like the New York Jets this year. I think Sam Darnold's going to have a big second year uh, under, under center. And, of course, when you have Le'Veon Bell in the backfield, that takes a ton of pressure off of you because you know that on first, second, and third down, he's going to be there with you, and he's also all-purpose back. Um, I think the down year for, for one team in particular, I think it's going to be a disappointing season for the Dallas Cowboys. Part of the reason is is that you don't know what you're going to get from Ezekiel Elliott. He's continuing to hold out. There are multiple reports that he's in Cabo San Lucas right now, quote-unquote, training. But your lead back Because yeah, there's a lot of training camp. that goes down in Cabo, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's training your, your liver, right, to, uh, <laughs> to absorb some of the alcohol. But, uh, but you know, he's had some issues during the offseason. And for him, he wants a payday. He's got two years left on his deal. Dak Prescott wants a payday. I don't think he's a bona fide top 10 quarterback in the National Football League. Uh, the win-loss record is one thing, but you can look at Major League Baseball and pitchers and say, okay, a win-loss record it doesn't really, isn't really reflective of a guy if he's got an ERA of four or four and a half, if he's got nine runs of support. I think that's the same situation with Dak Prescott. I think that the Dallas Cowboys go as far as Dak and Zeke can take them not as Dak Prescott can take them. And I think the other team I'll be curious to see this year is the Green Bay Packers. New coaching staff and then Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers was not good last year, and I think that he needs to get back to that all-pro level because, guys, he's got one Super Bowl title in his entire career, and that's the same as Brett Favre, and this is a guy that people David, herald that as point. the yeah, I make that quarterback point all the time. In, in NFL history. So. Yeah, I make that point all the time about Aaron Rodgers. We're going to have to leave it there because we are up against it to close out the show. And uh, hopefully we can bring you back on uh, maybe before the start of the NFL season because I like where you're going with that conversation. David, thank you so much. Man. Follow, listen, check out, check him out. We'll keep tweeting out all his information so you guys can check out David Gaskin and the good work he does with Fox Sports Radio. David, thank you so much. Thank you to all our listeners. We will see you same time, same place next week. Have a good sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.